If I hadn't had the chance to meet you, my name's Jason Durant, and I'll probably introduce myself every week. The, the regulars, you'll get tired of that, but it's just this thing in me that says, if I was the person sitting in the seat and there's a guy up there talking for more than a couple of minutes and I never know who he is, I'm not going to really hear anything he said because I'm going to be wondering, who is that dude, right? And so I'm Jason Durant. I have the joy of being the lead pastor here of Dublin Bible Church, and so glad that you'd be with us today. If you want to go ahead and flip open your Bibles or pull it up in your phone or, or however you may do that, love to encourage you to always be looking at a copy of Scripture as we're studying Scripture. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 22, Genesis first book in the Bible, and then you can flip until you find chapter 22. As you turn, I'll share with you it was uh, probably 20-some-odd years ago now, which feels crazy. Uh, I almost said it was a few years ago when I was in college. I'm having to come to grips right here in this moment with college was not just a few years ago for me, all right? But 20 years ago or so, I was in college, and uh, a buddy of mine and I, we had a, a mutual friend up in Durham, North Carolina. And uh, he was the worship leader for a church, and for whatever reason, he was not going to be able to be there on a particular Sunday. And so he contacted my buddy, who, who also led churches in worship of God through music, and he asked him, would he come fill in? And Buddy said, yeah, and Buddy asked me to come and play some percussion with him. Um, I, I can't do the, the Shane thing up here with hands and feet, but I can hit something with my hands, usually somewhat in rhythm. And so I, I got to go with him. And we we're going to make this journey up to Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, from Birmingham, Alabama. And we had other friends, a couple of different sets, that had made the drive already to go and visit this guy up there. And they had kind of told us what their drive time was. And so as, as young college guys, of course, we're like, well, we're going to make the best time. Like, we're going to beat the record, right? We're going to set the best time from Birmingham, Alabama to, to Durham, North Carolina. And so we take off, and things are going splendidly. They couldn't be going any better. We're, we're doing well. We make it past Atlanta just a little bit to the outskirts of Atlanta. And, and we're looking at exit numbers based on what they told us the exit number is supposed to be. And we're going, we still got a little ways to go, but our time right now is, man, we're, there's no chance we don't win, Right? So, so we actually stop, do a little shopping in a, in a thrift mall there. We eat some Mexican food. We get back in the car and start to drive again. We drive for a while, and, and it just starts to sink in on us. Like, it feels like it's taking too long, right? Like, I, I thought we would be here by now, right? This was before you could just pull up a map on your phone, right? I, there was a day when you didn't have that. For some of you, you don't know that yet, right? You couldn't just figure everything out on your phone. We, we keep talking about it and trying to figure out what's going on, what is happening, Right at one point, the, the exit numbers look different than we thought they would. So we end up in a gas station, right? And we go over to the corner where I don't even think they have this in gas stations anymore. But we, there's a little spin rack there in the corner where there are maps, right? And we pull out a map, like the paper kind. I know, right? It's, I feel so old, right? And we, we unfold it, and we're looking at the interstate and where it goes, right? And at one point, my buddy goes, dude, I think we need that map too. And he was right. All right. And so we had this map and I was holding this map trying to figure out where they should overlap. And the quote that won the night was when my buddy went, dude, we're a whole map and three folds over. Right. <laughs> See, as, as young guys, I don't know if we didn't know or if we had just forgotten, but exit numbers change when you cross state lines. Right. And so we're thinking we're not that far away. We've got a whole nother state of South Carolina exits to go through and then some exits in North Carolina. We got there at like 4 o'clock in the morning. We by far, we like tripled some other people's time. Uh, I, can't, I don't know how many times we sat on the way there. Like I, we shouldn't have done that Mexican thing. The Mexican food was, why did we do that? Right? Like, bad idea. Right? But see, we didn't know exactly what the problem was. We were headed in the right direction. 
right? We were going on the right path, but, but something was amiss and something was askew. We, we didn't understand exactly what it was until we finally made ourselves press pause and stop and look at our source God. That story came to mind as I was thinking about our Bible study series that we're in for several weeks here on Sunday. It's called The Same Page. It's really very similar. The idea is this, that there are these critical, focal, central themes and ideas in Scripture that, that especially in the American South, we talk about often, we use them often, we sing the words often, but, but if we're not careful, right, we may not be as familiar with them as we think we are, biblically. Or maybe we are, and we kind of started from that place, but we haven't looked back in a while. And so we've kind of drifted. We're in a little bit of a different place, maybe not with what our mouths would say, but with what our hearts are living out in our lives because we've kind of drifted. Right? And so we're looking back at some of these core concepts in hopes that as we refresh them, there will be a new clarity to us. And that will bring us a good joy. Remember last week we talked about hope, if you were here, and how that is an attitude of just confident expectation. It's an outlook on life that's confidently expecting good from God because of his good character. We're going to carry that, I believe, a step farther today, and it's going to be that pervading attitude lived out in our lives in a very popular, regular word in Scripture, and that word is faith. Right? Now, if I were to ask you what faith is, most of us would probably say something simple like belief, and we'd be right. All right? But if you were to evaluate both our culture and, if you're honest, even our own lives, sometimes it is belief, it is that kind of faith, but it, but it gets kind of twisted just a little bit, right? It gets misaligned just a bit. And so sometimes faith is not this, this standing on what God has said and believing, but instead it becomes right, kind of a blind jump, right? It, it's something that I jump into believing even though I don't have anything secure that would, would lead me to that place, right? It's been, I believe, about 25 years ago, some of you will remember, Right, the, the Heaven's Gate cult, right? Group of folks who were taught by these so-called religious leaders that, that they would eventually, one day, if they followed them and followed their strain of faith, they would uh, attain to this higher level of, of human existence spiritually and they would ride up to heaven literally in, an F, in, in a UFO, right? Right? And somebody's laughing, right? We're not UFO people? Me neither. All right, but, right? Right, they had this idea, and, and gosh, it's so sad, but, but these people, a large group of them, spent their lives wearing the clothes that they were told to wear to be in preparation for the pickup flight. They all had on their Nikes. They were all ready to go, and, and right at the end of the day, it didn't come to fruition. Why? Because there was nothing solid that should have ever led them to those conclusions to begin with. It was just a blind jump. Right? Somebody told them something. The idea sounded like fun. It sounded promising. There was no investigation about it. There was no assessment of the truth claims, and they just jumped right in. Sometimes it's what we think faith is. In some other traditions, especially some Christian traditions, unfortunately, right? faith is the way that I get what I want. It's a very selfish faith. It's if I ask God for this and I believe hard enough, then I get what I want. The late 80s or early 90s, introduced a beautiful mechanical instrument called the Chevy Astro van, right? It was a minivan, right? It was beautiful. My mom had her heart so set on the Chevy Astro van, and she kept praying to God and saying to God, and she laughs about it now, but, but she kept just saying, God, you're going to give me one. God, I want one. I got to have it. She even went and got a personalized tag airbrushed ready for her Chevy Astro, right? right? That was years ago. She's never had a Chevy Astro, right? Right? We can't just think that faith means if I believe it well enough and if I believe it hard enough and if I direct that at God, then somehow I get 
what I want. Right? Faith is also not just an intellectual consent. It's not, hey, I ascend to these things. I check yes to these truths about God with my mind. Right? It's more than that. It has something to do with our souls, with our internal lives, our, our will that drives us to live. Right? And it's more than just a backup plan. Right? A lot of times faith, I, I live that way if I'm not careful, is I go and do my thing. I, I go and perform and execute and make the decision and go with what I think. And then when it turns out sour, I start looking at God going, I know you're going to take care of this though, God. Right? Faith is more than that. It's more than a backup plan for when we don't get it right. Faith is the starting place, right? My kind of boots on the ground working definition of faith for me, if it's helpful for you, is that faith is actively trusting God more than we trust ourselves or what we see. Right? Actively, right? That word's important. We're going to see that in just a moment. Right? Actively trusting God more than we trust ourselves or what we see. We're going to look at a guy in Scripture today who's going to be a great model of faith. We read some of his story last week as we talked about hope. If you remember Abraham and how he waited not perfectly, but patiently for God's promised chosen son that would give him this long lineage and be a blessing to nations all over the world, though he and his wife had yet to have any children and they were older and advanced in years. Remember that? He was waiting. This story that we're going to read today takes place some years down the road. I think it's safe to say it's probably at least 10 years. Others would argue, maybe rightly, that, that it's more than 30 years later. All right. So if you've watched a movie and then they have the little line come up at the bottom of the screen that says like six months later or two months later, same people, Abraham, Isaac, but we're fast forwarding quite a bit into the future. All right. It says this, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So we see God strike up a conversation with Abraham. God is coming to talk to him. Right? And the scripture tells us, and it probably makes us a little uncomfortable deep down in our souls if we get honest about it, it tells us in verse 1 specifically what God is going to talk to him about. It says that God is coming to test Abraham. Right? He's intentionally coming. It doesn't say that God kind of stepped out for a lunch break and he accidentally let a pressure-packed situation find its way to Abraham's life. Right? God didn't miss it. Right? It doesn't say that, that God came and... He was kind of aware that it was coming. He just kind of let it happen. No, no. Here in this verse, God is personally, directly responsible for the testing of his son in faith, Abraham. God tested Abraham. Now, that makes a hard question for me, and I think for us. Right? How are we going to put active trust in a God who willingly, purposefully tests us? Does that seem hard to you? Right? If, if your answer is no, no problems with that at all, easy, let's go to lunch afterward, you can train me. all right? Because to me, when I think about God, I'm actively going to say yes to you. I'm actively going to put my trust in you. More than I trust my plan, I trust yours. More than I trust the circumstances that I see, I trust your promise of goodness to me. I'm going to live that way. How are we going to put that kind of faith in a God who's really open about the fact that he will test us? Right? 
Maybe we get some help by considering why God tests Abraham. You ever think about back when you were in school, why is it that you're given tests, right? Some of you guys over here, you're still in school. You're about to start back, and you're like, no, why do they? I hate it. Can you explain it? Could you talk to my teacher, right? Why do we do tests, right? What would it be like if instead of having an assessment, having a place to show how much you've learned and how much you've grown in your capabilities, instead of having that place, what if it was just this way in the educational world where your teacher could teach the subject matter and then ask you, did you learn it, and you could say yes, right? I took business calculus three times, right? I'm not proud of it, but it's true. It would have been awesome if my business calculus teacher could have gone, you got this? And I could have gone, man, this is probably not an A+, plus, but I'm definitely a B-, minus. like hook me up. Yep, I got it. And he just jotted it down and we're done. Would have saved me thousands of dollars, right? But tests are there for us to see where we've grown. They're there to show us where we have room left to grow, right? Some of us love tests, right? Some of us absolutely do, right? I, I know it may not be the popular thing. I'm not seeing the colored blocks all over social media, but some of y'all are still playing Wordle every day, Right? Because you like the little intellectual test to figure out which letters go where to make the word, right? I know you're not posting. You didn't want anybody to know. It's a little embarrassing. It's not the cool kid thing to do anymore. I play too, okay? I don't even like that I play. I feel like I can't stop, right? We like to be tested intellectually, right? Jigsaw puzzles, right? right? Crossword puzzles, right? right? We like to be tested, some of us, like a physical test. And by us, I mean you. And it gets us sweating and we... We like something that makes us put our training into place and gets our heart beating and gets us sweating and we realize, man, I'm better at this than I once was. And we also see there's room for me to grow here in this way, right? We like some types of tests, but I don't know a single person. Hey, my glasses failed. Maybe that's a test. Hold up. All right. I don't know a single person that really can say honestly, hey, I enjoy a good faith test. I really like it when God throws something hard at me that causes me to live in that gap between what I would say is true about God and what I actually believe is true about God, right? When he calls me into that place, I just love it. I don't know anybody who's praying, God, more tests, please, right? And just make sure we're clear on this. I don't pray that prayer either, by the way. Tests are hard, but understand this, that, that God's tests, always lead to God's glory and our betterment. God's tests always lead to his glory, to him being seen as big. You'll see him big in your life if you're walking through the test. Others may see him in your life as you're walking through the test. God's tests of us always lead to his glory and to our betterment. Interesting timing. I already had this scripture and week kind of planned out. Recently, I had to make a decision as to whether or not I was going to give one of my sons a test. And I was very stressed about it, honestly. He, he's preparing to enter kindergarten, and in the school that he's going to go to, they said he had to take a pre-assessment test for kindergarten, which is fine. There's no problems with it. I appreciate right, the, the, the educational acumen. All right? But me, knowing my son, I'm thinking, I was kind of operating as if kindergarten was the place we go to to get started learning these things. Right? If you know my story, he's spent a lot of time with dad in the last couple of years, and we have learned a lot, but it hadn't been like ABC stuff, right? It's been like how when something cool happens to say, big dog, whoop, whoop, he, he can do that, right? Like on cue, and, and when he does it without me telling him, it, it's, it's over. It's like he loves me, right? 
We've learned a lot, but we haven't learned a lot of ABCs, one, two, threes, all that kind of stuff. I didn't give him that stuff, right? We did potty training. We knocked that one out of the park. Come on, Dad, right? We did some important stuff. We did some good stuff. We learned what patience. Well, we've learned a lot, but we didn't focus on that. And so I'm going, man, I don't know if it's best for him to be put in this moment where they're going to be asking him questions that we know he does not know the answer to. Now, just a brief side note, one of the things they asked him to do was count these little plastic bears. They ran out of bears because he can count so well. That's right. Right? He was like, 30, that's all you got? I can count more, right? That's probably the one thing that, that got him into kindergarten. Praise Jesus with, that we have counted, right? We were probably counting cookies. When he was sitting in my recliner, like, one, two, three, those are daddies, four, five, still daddies, right? But he knows how to count, right? But do, you, but do you see that there's this moment where I know getting an education is good for him, and yet I also know that this test is going to be uncomfortable for him. I know that because he's sitting at home going, I don't want to do a test, right? He doesn't even know what a test is. He knows he doesn't want to do it. But I extrapolate out in my mind, what happens if we don't do this test? Can you imagine if I never made my son take the assessments, never made him push through that to start school, and then years down the road, he doesn't know how to read, he can't balance a bank account, he can't get a job, that's pretty difficult for him, right? There's all kind of hardships going on in his life years from now, and in some ways, that can all be traced right back to this moment where dad decides he's got to take this test. The tests in our lives, right, that require us to be active in our faith, they're not easy. They don't always feel good. But God, who tests us, always tests us that we might see him more. That's his glory. And he tests us for our betterment. We have to trust that if we're ever going to walk forward in the kind of faith that we see Abraham have in his response to God. So in verse 1, God calls out to Abraham and you see what Abraham says. It seems really simple in English, but there's a little more to it in, in the original wording, right? God calls out to Abraham, and Abraham, we read, says, Here I am. Here I am. Right, right here. In, in our English reading, it's easy for us to think that all Abraham is saying to God is, Hey, God, over here in the corner, right? It's easy for us to read that and seem like he's just giving God, kind of dropping him a pin, like, this is me, come on over here this way. But in the original language, there's some, some subtlety there that's really strong, right? In the original language, the word that he uses there, and I'll, I'll butcher it, all right, but, but in Hebrew is actually hanani, right? And if you said it correctly, it'd probably have a whole lot of throat in it, probably like, hanani, right? Like, but, but that word, hanani, it doesn't just mean, this is my geographical position. It means, here I am. I'm here, and I am completely abandoned to you. It's not so much a hand-waving to say to God, here I am, as much as it is a palms open, handing ourselves to God. Abraham, and Abraham says, yes, God, I'm right here. This is where I am, and I will go anywhere you have for me to go. It's the same word that the boy Samuel says, remember? When he's in the temple, he keeps hearing somebody calling him. He thinks it's the priest, Eli. And then finally they figure out, hey, I think this is a God thing. And, and God calls him and he says, here I am. He's not just saying I'm standing here. He's saying I'm yours. It's the same word Moses says when he sees this brilliant display of God in the burning bush. It's the same word Isaiah says in chapter 6 when he sees God in this huge way. He encounters God's holiness and then God goes, hey, who am I going to send? Who's going to go for me? And he says, here I am. Taking the time to unpack that, right? 
Because I believe it's integral in our lives that we allow God to kind of press pause in our souls and, and allow us to assess and for him to show us, are we people that are saying to God this type of, here I am? Or are we people who say to God, like I so often do, we say to God, God, I, I want to be faithful. I want to do anything you want me to do as long as you know that this is where I am. Right? Yes, God, I want to follow you. I want to be faithful. I want to tell other people about you. God, but I, I can't leave the life that I know and move there, God. I, I couldn't do that because I don't really like those schools for my kids. I couldn't do that because I couldn't afford the same kind of house that I have here or there. It won't be as comfortable, God. I can't, I can't go there, God. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do as long as, God, you, you're hearing me. God, you know, right, that this is where I am. Right over there. God, I want my life to be a light for all that it comes into contact with, and, and I want to be your ambassador, but God, this is my job, right? I wouldn't leave this job just trusting you. Maybe God wants to place you somewhere else for the relational network that you will have, not for the professional network that you will have, right? Yes, God, I will follow, but, but God, as long as you remember, this is where I am. Some of us are not ever going to walk in the next steps of maturity of faith with God unless we commit to Christian community in a way that means more than Sunday mornings. Actually getting to know some people and them getting to know us and us struggling through faith together, we're not going to walk forward in that as we talked in our men's study about this last week. We're saying to God, yes, I want to be used by you. I want to honor you as long as you know that this is kind of my schedule right now and this is where I am. And in contrast to that, Abraham is going, no, God. Here I am, and I am yours, whatever you have for me. And notice that he says that to God before God has even told him where he's going. <laughs> right? See, Abraham's been tested by God before. The verses we talked about last week and 25 years of waiting, he was tested even before that in Genesis where he was called to pack up his family and everything he owned in his life as he knew it and, and to leave everything that he knew for he knew not what. To start walking, and God's going to tell them where they're going to land later. And he saw that God blessed him through that. Right? See, Abraham has come to understand what we must continually remind ourselves of and ask God to supplant in the core of our hearts is that, that faith that matters always moves us. Faith that matters always moves us. James 2.26, a familiar verse, right? It says, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead, right? I love the picture that it gives. Look, if you've got a, a human body there, and, but, but it no longer has a soul, you don't have a person, you have a corpse. I'm not trying to be brash there, I'm just saying, you don't have a human life, you have a body. It says, but when the spirit's there in the person, when the soul is there, oh, then it's alive then it matters, right? I hope you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again. I believe this with all my heart. Everybody always has a next faith step. I want this church to be a place where that 
that attitude and that heartbeat lives in us and dwells in us and it colors the way that we interact with other people and the way that we treat them in their immaturities and the way that we're open and safe to them as a place to come and examine the Christian faith even if they're not there yet. Everybody, if you're 8 or if you're 80, if you've been walking with Jesus for 2 months or for 20 years, if you're not being called in some ways to move, then you need to be concerned about the health of your faith. Now, you may not move physically, but God may want to move some of the lines in your budget to bless others. I didn't say you have to give any money to this church. If you heard that, I didn't say that. God may want to change some of the items on your agenda. God may want to move you in your perspective. Maybe you've held on to some things for your entire life, and it's the way it is just because it's the way it is, but you couldn't point to Scripture in any way and go, this is what it really is, right? How is God seeking to move you? And will we respond knowing that faith that matters always moves us and say, yes, God, here I am. I'm putting my yes on the table. I'm saying yes to you before I even know what you're telling me to do. Man, that's hard, right? I think that the next few verses are going to give us some some easy-to-see helps on how to walk forward in faith. Starting back. In verse 3, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire, his father Abraham. No, I'm sorry, the fire and the knife. And so they both went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. He said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together couple of interesting notes here. <laughs> that Abraham's bold faith wasn't just a one-time decision to say yes. You see, he journeyed on taking step after step after step towards the sacrifice of his son for three days. <laughs> How in the world could you journey towards that for three days and not at some point start to rethink what you're doing here? Look, I, I can decide to get back in the truck and leave before I make it from my truck to Walmart's front door. Right? Like, I'm here, I'm getting this, nah, this doesn't look good. Right? Like, I'm back out. Right? He's walking towards the sacrifice of his son. His only son, not, not his only genetic son. He had another son, Ishmael, that at this point has been sent off and sent away. He's no longer present. His only son that's here with him, his only son that's full of promise for him to leave a legacy. And he's, he's walking towards this son that he loves so dearly, towards his slaughter. I think one note, man, just a practical that may help us live with this type of faith is the very first thing you see in verse 3. It says, so the next day, right? The next morning, right? He rose early in the morning. He packed his stuff up and he got his son and he got his two men, servants to go with him. And they packed up early in the morning and they took off. Did you notice that Abraham didn't even run this idea past Sarah? Right? (laughs) Right? Maybe he knew she's going to talk him out of it. Right? Right? Maybe he knew her heart couldn't handle it, right? 
Some of you men, just, just as a word, because I care about your marriages, this is not a reason to drive home surprisingly in a brand new truck this afternoon. Be like, God said, do it. Right, like that's, no. All right? I, I, I wouldn't encourage that, right? But he is so committed to walking forward in faith in what God has called him to that he doesn't take the time to think about it. Because a lot of time it's in our deliberation of whether we are or are not going to follow God that temptation sneaks in and all of a sudden we're adrift on the course in our life. Right? Listen, following God promptly is a catalyst for following God persistently. <laughs> when you sense and know that God's going, hey, go do this, and you go, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now. I'm jumping in. I'm not waiting. I'm going to walk into this. Right? Following him promptly is a catalyst, it's a springboard, it's something that helps you to continue walking forward. Right? And that's maybe part of how Abraham's able to keep going these three days. It's also interesting, by the way, that they're three days into the journey when Isaac looks at his dad and goes, hey, Dad, by the way, we don't have any animal to sacrifice, right? Like, maybe he was a teenage boy, because that's what I'm, I'm envisioning, like, he's all up in his switch, and then all of a sudden he's, like, playing his video game, and I go, wait a minute. Uh, we don't have anything to do this sacrifice with, right? How do you make it three days before you realize that, right? Says, we don't have it here. Can I encourage you that the life of faith that, that maybe you would dream about when your dreams are rightly aligned and honorable to God, that kind of not perfect but persistent, regular walking with God, let me tell you when that best starts, now. Now. Not when you've finally cleared the hurdle of that sin that nobody knows about. Now you can feel more confident to start walking forward with God. I'm not saying don't deal with your sin. I'm saying now deal with it as you're starting to walk forward. Now, right? What is God calling you to now? What is God prompting your heart towards now? And will you start the walk forward because now is the start time that is most likely to lend itself towards long-term faithfulness. They walk and they get there and Abraham walks for three days and he's going to walk even further than that to the absolute precipice of what has to be unbearable pain, emotionally, agony. And we're going to see that God shows up. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to that day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Do you see here that until we walk to the difficult places with God, we won't see the provision of God for those moments. God doesn't work in a, I give it first, now you come get it, right? I've got it set up for you. You can see it a mile down the road. Now go, 
Now you know how it ends, so come to it. Instead, God says, walk with me, trust me, actively move your feet towards what I'm calling you to. Trust me more than you trust your own plan or what you can see. And when we do that, God is a God who has faithfully promised that in those scenes of our lives, God will provide. Man, that's like the most simple, as, as, a, as a preacher, right, I have a hard time even landing on that because that seems like, like elementary Christianity. You've heard it a million times, God will provide. A lot of times there's this pressure innate to me that's like, say something new, say something they haven't heard. Listen, God needs us to believe what we have heard, right? God needs us to believe it, not such in a way that we would say yes if we're asked a question in a community group, but in a way that we would say yes when God puts a prompt on our lives on a Tuesday. When there's a person that lives across the road that God's just making me notice over and over again. When there's an apology to be made. Right? And I know it's there to be made. Scriptures say live peaceably so much as it depends on you. Doesn't matter if the other person should be making an apology yet or not. Are you doing everything you can do to make peace? God is faithful he loves it when we follow him in faith, and he will provide if we will walk forward. May not look like you thought it was going to, may not come the moment you thought it was to, but it will happen. Some of you know, we, my wife and I had the opportunity, we felt like God led us to, to move to a brand new city where we knew nobody and, and start a church. And man, that was, that was the hardest work I've ever done in my life. A lot of heartache and heartbreak and also some of the greatest, most joyful, just seeing God do awesome things there. It was amazing. But we had stepped out and we had said, we believe God's leading us here. And we had told the church we were at, we're leaving, right? We're not going to be here leading anymore soon. And, and there came a point where our house sold, right? And this was before the market that it is now. This is back in the day when you went to sell your house six months before you actually needed to move, Right? Our house was not even listed yet. The realtor I had talked to mentioned it to somebody else. We backed out one day. We came home three hours later, and they had a, offered us what we were asking for it, even though we hadn't listed it yet. And so all of a sudden, I sign a, a contract, and in like four weeks, we're supposed to be out of our house. We're supposed to be living in a new town, and I don't have a job. I don't know how I'm going to feed my kids, right? I don't know any of this stuff. And I would love to tell you that my faith was big and strong. And I was like, God's got us. He's going to provide when we get on over there. It's going to be good. Right? I would love to tell you that's how I was feeling. How I was really feeling was in the bed, covered up with the blankets, going, oh, God, have I done the wrong thing? Anxiety, real tears. Like, God, I've got two little babies. What, what, uh, we don't have enough savings to make this work, God. It's not going to last long. Right? What are we going to do? And can I just tell you that, that God didn't, like, drop me some page down from heaven that laid out the plan and everything that was going to happen? But in the simple steps of faithfulness, hey, I need to feed my kids, so I probably need to find a job. I, I call about one job, and, and in one phone call, I've talked to a guy who goes, well, hey, where are you going to live if you do take this job? And I go, man, I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. And he goes, hey, i got a house on my property. I'll rent it to you for cheap, so you can work for me and live right out here. <laughs> one phone call about a job. And we saw God provide over and over and over again in ways that would blow your mind. People I hadn't talked to in 20-plus years showing up at my doorstep at one point going, hey, you were on my mind for whatever reason. Remember you were the ring bearer in my wedding? I'm like, I, not really, right? <laughs> I mean, I've seen pictures, but uh, this is weird because we don't know each other. 
man, you've been on my mind, and I've been praying for you, and here, I got, God's led me to provide this for you. I don't even know why, but I want to give you this. Spoke a word of Scripture into my life that he could not have had a clue tied directly into something God had done in my heart that day, that afternoon. God is faithful to provide if we will take the next faithful step. What is that step for you? Some of us are going, yes, I am committed to loving my spouse with my whole heart sacrificially the way Jesus loves the church as long as she, fill in the blank, as long as he doesn't, fill in the blank. We're saying in essence, God, this is where I am. I want to be faithful from here, but this is where I am. God's going, no, 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 no. I want you to follow me. The word of apology, the word of encouragement. Listen, some of us are more apt and more prone to step out there and say something than others. Some of us, we have to work for three weeks to get that one sentence out, right? And that's okay, but say the word. Encourage your brother or sister in Christ. And see what God might do if you become a person who will do that. Where is God calling you to your next step? Because everybody always has a next faith step. I can't promise you that I know clearly what that is for you. But that's why we have God's spirit. That's why we have God's word. The question is not if you have a next step. The question is whether you will faithfully step into the next step. If you're here today and you don't know God through a faith relationship with Jesus, I'm not asking if you know about God. I'm asking about do you know a personal God who loves you and cares for you, who would whisper to your heart in the same way we see him whispering to Abraham's heart. If you don't know him today, know that we're so glad you're here. You're not the enemy. Nobody wants to pressure you into anything, but I do want to plead to you from a heart founded, I believe, on Scripture. Please know that there is hope for you that is big and beautiful and splendid, and it exists only in trusting Jesus. Please put your hope in him. Come find me when we're done. Find a friend, but man, just don't do nothing if you know that you're here and you're not sure you know Jesus. Maybe that's your first faith step. For the rest of us who know him, do you know right now? Maybe you don't, but is God prompting you right now, drawing you right now? What is your next step? And will you say to God, God, this is where I am? Or will you say to God, here I am. I give myself to you. I'm going to ask AJ to come and, and we'll sing maybe a chorus or something. There's no rule, by the way, in like church life or Bible life that you have to sing a song at the end. There's no rule for it or against it. But sometimes it's really helpful because it gives us this moment. We see this word in Psalms, in the Psalms a lot. You'll see a section of scripture and then you'll see a word that says Selah. That word Selah means pause and consider. Right? You've read this section, now stop and let God work into you what it is he's just said. So as we sing in just a moment, if you need to sing, sing out loud with a full heart. If you need to sit and write, journal towards God. If you need to find a friend and pray, if you want to come forward and pray, I'd love to pray with you. I'll be there. Right? Just respond actively to God, whatever that is for you.